DM Vince sitting alongside DM Will. Hey! <laughs> and DM Nick. Nick? Hey, everybody. Yes. Well, there's Nick. Nick, you were silent for a moment. I guess you failed your uh, awake roll or something. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and DM Matt is absent this week. He's uh, repairing his car, actually. Poor Matt. Hey! Yes? Did y'all watch Happy Days? Yeah. Isn't that what that Fonzie guy says? Hey! No, that was that was a. Just making sure I wasn't trying to say anything different. Yeah. No, you're you're fine. He holds his thumb up too, don't he? Yeah, he holds his two thumbs up. A. Oh, that's right, two thumbs up. Oh, whatever it is. Okay, I'm just trying to be, uh, you know, it's cool. It's cool. Anyway, so uh, let's get into some general things that's been going on. Uh, Will, what have you been doing in gaming? And uh, I know you were building your shelves and everything. That was mostly taking up a lot of oh, your time. Oh, yeah. Finally got those done and everything. And uh, now what I'm doing is I'm going through boxes and boxes, and I'm just finding more stuff every day. I got so many miniatures, and, and I just realized now that I'm not going to have enough miniature cases. So I'm just waiting for my friend to give me his other two miniature cases. So I start packing those up. But besides that, I've been buying board games galore. There have been really, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Kickstarter. Kickstarter does have some good points, but it has a lot of negative points as well, too. Um, there have been some awesome board games released through Kickstarter lately, and I have to mention them. And I, you know, one of them is, is an older game called Alien Frontiers. Really good game, and that was a Kickstarter one. And the latest one we picked up was Zombicide. I didn't get it while it was a Kickstarter uh, a project, but I got it in the gaming store because I believe in supporting the gaming stores because they're an extinct species these days, uh, or soon to be. They're dying out. So I bought it, and I found Zombicide to be an excellent game for six players. It's actually very fun, has a lot of playability and versatility. So, again, you know, kudos to those people from, from the Kickstarter side of the house and making sure this board game got out there. It's really good. Cool. Cool. I mean, and, and, I, and one thing I liked about it the most, it comes with like 71 zombie miniatures, plastic miniatures. Oh, yeah, and yeah. You have walkers, runners, and, and fatties. Walkers, <laughs> runners, fatties, and an abomination. There's only one abomination. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really, really good. And this, you know, really got into a lot of board games. The Marvel Legendary uh, card building, deck building game. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Very, very excellent. Cool. And I'm back to right. painting because I have to get this project done by spring of next year. Uh, Paizo contacted me. I'm going to be running stuff there at their uh, convention uh, next year. And uh, I don't know what else. What else have I been doing? Well, that's enough for me. Ah, okay. Now, you said your collection came up to a total of almost 10,000 pounds, right? Yes, because you see what happened was is when I was in the military, you know, 23 long years until I retired, uh, I was going on a lot of deployments. So I yeah. could send while I'm deployment and when I'm in, in different foreign countries, I'm picking up all this fantasy stuff and everything. I would send it home to my mom to ensure my how it goes to the house in Alabama. Well, I got 
all the stuff down there that I need to pick up and everything. So I got to start making room for it because we never account for that weight. <laughs> plus, I still have like 60 plus boxes in storage. I just didn't have the room. Now with these bookshelves, everything's starting to come out now. That's nice. I mean, uh, what, <laughs> do you have room for all these books that you have? Well, the thing is, it's not just books. And this is the thing that I try and get people, they look at the, they look at the books. You got a lot of books, but they're not seeing the other stuff. For example, uh, what else did I collect over the years? Pirates, the collectible ship game. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Thousands of those ships. Yeah. Oh, man. I love that game. This game's yeah, so game. fun. Awesome. Now, let's talk about, like, miniature-wise. I have lots of miniatures, and I mean tons of them. Literally I, tons. <laughs> yeah, literally. I have so many miniatures. And, you know, I posted a picture of all the Battletech minis that I had at that current. That was just what I was using on my weekends to play my Battletech game. I haven't pulled out the other ones, which are still in the uh, the blisters inside the one box. I, I, well, there's a couple boxes, actually. I have tons of D&D minis still in boxes. I mean, I just have so much, and they're all in the closet. The clo- closets are full. I got three rooms full of gaming stuff that I'm slowly pulling out and pulling out of boxes and putting them where they need to go. Hmm. Wow. It just gets larger and larger. And then again, last week, I went to Half Price Books, spent $250. Uh, some guy... <laughs> Not, this is you're going to go crazy over this. This guy dropped his entire collection of Middle Earth role playing supplement stuff. Yeah, wow. Which was almost forty something books, man. Which included the role master stuff and the companion and all that stuff. And this is the old Merp stuff. If people know Merp, yeah, yeah, Merp. yeah, yep. yeah. I'm familiar with it. Bit of it, bought every bit of it, every bit because that's it was only eight dollars a book, and you know what? Only a fool wouldn't buy that. I bought that stuff up, <laughs> so I'm always buying extra stuff. And if I see extra things I want, I buy them. If I, buy, if I see uh, extra player handbooks or D and D books, I buy them. If I see modules, I buy them. I buy, I const, I buy stuff every week. You're so, gonna end yeah. up on a hoarder's show, man. Yeah, but like a like a D and D hoarder. What my friend is that I can walk around this house. There is no trail to the bedroom or to the bathroom or to the kitchen. Oh, thank goodness! <laughs> yeah, I was gonna get worried. <laughs> I'm like, I'm waiting, waiting for your floor, floorboards to like you know start busting in in the house. Well, should I remind you that one of the rooms is already doggone cracked? No, I'm just joking. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> All righty. So, uh, Nick, what have you been up to? Uh, let's see. Last night we had the uh, the one uh, game for my daughter Anna and her friends. Uh, so, Temple of Elemental Evil. They finally got to the temple last night. So, <laughs> it was really cool. the The session before that, though, I kind of sprung a surprise on them. The if anybody familiar with the adventure, the in Hamlet, there are some agents of the temple in the village. Of Hamlet, some, one of them being an assassin, another one a thief. Yeah, yeah, I kind of sprung them on them, and uh, yeah, almost a few people almost got killed there, but um, someone actually had to burn a spell out of a spell book <sighs> to, to save oh. their skins. Yeah, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> but yeah. it was well worth it. So they capture a few of them, interrogate them, got some more information about the temple, went to Nulb met all the people that they needed to meet there in Nulb, and then went on to the temple. Um, they <laughs> took the turn where I hoped they wouldn't take a turn, where there's the one area where there's like 18 uh, zero-level uh, men-at-arms, plus a few leaders. I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to end pretty. <laughs> <laughs> 
But somebody had Sleep Spell memorized. Mm-hmm. And since they're zero-level nobodies, um, um, it was John who made his – he rolled for it. And out of the 18, he got 14 of them out cold. So save the – Save the party's skin, but they're having a really good time. And um, next week will be my other uh, uh, gaming group's uh, week, so that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Normally, we don't have a a game in December with my other group because everybody's busy doing stuff, but we're actually able to pull it off this year, so looking forward to that. Cool. Anyway, uh, well, so my group, uh, the, the first edition face-to-face group, uh, actually took a little hiatus until January 5th because uh, the DM was going to be out of town. So I took it upon myself to introduce the group of new players of old to old school to uh, Moldvay D&D. Oh. Yeah, so we cracked open the Red Book, and they uh, were very confused at first. So like, an elf is a class? <laughs> well, because you know these are new people to the game, as far right. as and and some of them were later edition players, so they were just kind of they were like, cool, you know, an elf guy could be a fighter slash magic user, and I don't have to worry about uh, not wearing armor or anything, or you know. Hmm. So they all picked their classes. We had uh, two dwarves, and we had uh, a cleric, and we had a uh, an elf, and they went and exp- they were exploring this uh, this cave where the. Uh, the bugbears were going to try to take over and uh, use to uh, for their base camp so they could start raiding the town with a bunch of uh, orcs with pig faces. <laughs> Just for Will. There you go, Will. Of course, yes. Uh, pigs with orc faces. Awesome. So they spent time, have- so they spent time in there uh, you know, killing that, and then they wound up going into town where there was some type of... They were investigating some type of plague inside the town where they wound up uh, causing a bit of chaos and, with the magic shop owner, and uh, one of them wound up getting arrested, and uh, then the uh, then they found out there was a conspiracy in town. The town guards were involved with the plague, and they had to figure out what was going on. So overall, it was a fun adventure, and uh, <laughs> I let them have a little leeway, so they had fun. One of the people in the group was chaotic, so he was causing a bunch of trouble with the rest of the group. So a lot of fun. First, I was thinking that you're going to say something like a conspiracy, like the Illuminati or the Bilderberger Group, and their, you know, black helicopters and stuff like that. But not that kind of conspiracy, huh? No, no, no not that, not that, not that deep of a level. <laughs> okay, that would start freaking people out then. Yeah, I, no, nothing Mayan related or anything like that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, that's that. Uh, reprints are good. We went and announced our contest winner, and uh, Will should have sent those uh, prizes out by now. I'm sure, right, Will? If you, or did you step away, Will? I think he stepped away. Anyway, so uh, let's head over to the next. No, I didn't. Wait, I'm right here. I was commenting, and I was saying, I was. Are you still there? Yeah, we're still here. Okay, I know. I sent them off. Everything is sent off. Okay, good, good. Okay, I didn't hear you. I thought maybe you had stepped away because I heard a bunch of noise. All right, so uh, Nick, you're going to head over to the stars, and as we always say, we read all our reviews, not all the time, but we try to go back and resurface and read ones that are very critical or very, very happy. So this week, yes. we, we've got a very critical one, so let's read it. Yes, uh, and just let everybody know that you can look for us on iTunes, and you could rate us. Uh, just a little by the by, we have... Uh, 142 ratings, and most of them are positive, but we do get some uh, 
not so positive reviews, and we do read them all when we can. Yeah. So we we yeah. don't dedicate every week to reading them because a lot of people said oh, we don't care about every happy review, and we, we don't get a whole lot of them in. Yeah, so. and, and, and it's understandable. You know, you can't every week hear the same thing. You guys are great. You know, we only read the ones that are someone takes a lot of time to uh, post something or to really and bash. Thought <laughs> yes, thought-provoking ones as well. Yeah, so go ahead, Nick. Here's the uh, Sure. Um, uh, this is by uh, Quid Hala. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And it uh, starts with doldrums. It's a three-star review. And Quidhala says, I loved the show at first. It got me very excited about trying out first edition. I started listening and suddenly the reprints were out. I was very enthused. But now I really miss Jason, who had a personality that was fun and lively. Something different than the other guys who are our very run-of-the-mill nerd stock. Matt certainly fills this role. He isn't entirely beholden to the prejudices prejudices." And preferences like the grognards. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. He adds the ideas rather than he adds to ideas rather than immediately poo-poo them. Maybe it's a simple case of familiarity breeding contempt. I look forward to anyone talking on the show other than Vince and Nick. Vince is like a wet blanket on the whole show, but he does make the trains run on time. His harping on other editions might be considered playful if it wasn't so relentless. Nick just makes me sad. When Vince turns against an idea, Nick quickly changes tack to match him, even if Nick seemed to agree with the idea at first. There is a guy like Nick in every nerd clan who is the butt of every joke. He never seems to care because he wants to be liked so badly. His ideas never have the same weight as the other nerds at the table. I've thought of a kind of a game where I would go through all the shows and count up all the malapropisms and mimps. Did I pronounce that correctly? Malapropisms? Did I, guys? I, I and mispronunciations he makes in every show. What's the deal with attributes rather than attributes? Or however he wants to pronounce it. Attributes. Attributes. Yeah. I say attributes. He says attributes. It all depends on your the region you were born in. That's right. Cool. He says, where I come in from one is a verb, the other one's a noun. Is this a regional thing or just Nick? We'll get back to him on that, right, guys? Yeah. Sure. Another thing. Stop with the sharing time in every episode when didn't do anything that week, which is true most of the time. I don't care to hear Nick and Vince complain that their plans fell through or that schedules are hard to plan around. If you have something interesting to sh chime in, otherwise shut up and move forward. At this point, I really don't get ideas from this show anymore. I listen for entertainment like I listen to Bill O'Reilly just to get my blood up and yell at him, mainly Vince. Okay. So All right. I'll respond first. I yes, will speak Vince. last. Well, okay, that's fine. Uh, while we don't know who this person is, obviously, we, you can tell there's some flaws in his review because he's been a longtime listener because he speaks about how Jason's so wonderful. And uh, while Jason is a wonderful person, he wasn't on the cast the time when the reprints were being announced or around. So that's one of his flaws. So it's a longtime listener who has bashed us before or made up a, a sock, a pop, what do they call it? A uh, sock puppet account, Nick? Yes. Sock puppet account. Uh, it's very easy to do that on iTunes. And I can make up four accounts right now while I'm speaking to you and, and give us five star reviews, too. But that's not right. 
Anyway, apparently this person uh, is not smart enough, I'll say, to look at the show notes and see the time codes to fast forward, or not smart enough to use the enhance feed to hit next chapter, because it's very simple. As we've always said from show one to show now, if you don't like a segment, just fast forward. Apparently, they don't know how to do that because they're just too stupid. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that. They're too stupid. And uh, I'm glad that you think that because now, each time you listen to the show, I'm going to do emphasize these things even more just for you. Nick, go ahead. Well, where to begin? Um, <laughs> at first, of reading this review, um, it did make my blood boil. Not for the simple fact that it was a bad review. It really isn't a review at all. It was more of a, a character assassination attempt on Vince and myself. Yeah. It's that being said, let me clarify. It's more of a critical attack on us rather than a, a, um, you know, a constructive review of the show and how we could do things better. Um, if, there's a problem with you where I say attributes or attributes. No, it's not just a regional thing or me. No, it's you because you're a fool. Um, <laughs> oh, and if, if we do sound bitter and petty about this, that's because we're just giving the person the same thing back that they were giving. Exactly. Us. Because I, I view this as this way. If they were took enough time, and enough effort to go on iTunes and write not a scathing review, but uh, a, a t- an attack on on those who do this show. For and free. by the way, we have a show, and Quinn Hara, you don't. It's probably too. <laughs> We're actually contributing to the uh, role playing community while you're not. Uh, we're doing something constructive, and you're not. <laughs> yeah, I don't consider it being constructive sitting at home picking your nose and writing reviews. Right. So, Which you know, and, and it's not, and I'm, I'm fine with when it's a review. If we're doing something wrong, inappropriate, if there's some ways we can do things better, fine. We'll try to do those things. But when it's things when he says, Nick just makes me sad, and there's a guy like Nick. In every nerd clan who has the butt of every joke and seems to not care what he wants to be likely, whatever he said, that's in a personal attack on that person. That is not, um, that is not, um, well, how would I say? That's not constructive criticism. No. Not at all. And then he goes on to talk about how. Um, you know, when we complain about when we don't have enough time to do things or anything like that. Well, you know what? We have lives. <laughs> we do this. This is Vince, Will, and myself. We do this for free. We try to do as much as we can with the time that we have. You know, I have a family. Vince has. He's married, and and Will has his life that what that he leads, what he does. And you know, we try to find the best time that we can with the time that we have. And, and there was never any complaining about it. All we did was say, oh, we were busy with this and that, and we couldn't game this week. Right. Does that eat up a whole lot of time in the show, guys? 
No, no. it's just it's just a matter of you know. The, and the, then there's that fast forward thing. He could just fast forward over it. Yeah, because Matt puts in every show notes the exact time code. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I know. I guess you can't read or too stupid. I guess not. I'm going to go too stupid. And then we also see, which really got me, it's like this person actually revealed his hand on his political slant when he did the whole Bill O'Reilly make my blood up, boil, whatever thingy. Well, that's okay. That just shows how you view us and how you view the world. And I've already... Seen okay. other reviews that you've made and how what other people that you love on iTunes, like that guy Bill Moyers. Oh, he's so great. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, he's awesome. Double thumbs up. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> I watch him daily, and you know, I'm going to yeah, keep watching too. him. Yeah, me too. Love the guy. Yeah. Have a shrine to him in my house. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, other words. Yes, that's Roll for Intelligence podcast, remember? Yeah. Mm, yeah. The Fast Fox, Forward. The Fox I'm, News podcast. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> and, Will, you wanted to speak upon this as well? Well, I mean, I think pretty much you all covered it. And, and you know, it, it's kind of funny that I wasn't mentioned. Now, that could mean one of two things. Either he, either he was listening to podcasts where I wasn't on there yet, or he just does not – he just denies – or he refuses to acknowledge my presence on the show, which is fine. You know, they have that, you know, that prerogative to do so and everything. And, you know, when I first came upon the show and everything, I know that Vince received, you know, some texts and emails from people saying, you know, why are you putting Will on the show? Uh, he's burnt bridges in the community. Give me a break. Give me a break. Give me a break. And this is, this, this is the stuff that's the problem. This, uh, this is the problem I have with the gaming community when I read these kind of remarks. These are inflammatory remarks. There is no constructive criticism. All you're doing is is attributing 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 stereo- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> attributing stereotypes to people and, and just dogging them out. And I find that extremely doggone childish. Yeah, because I'm such a loser, I guess. This is this, guy, this is the mentality you know? of the people that that that, that hang out at certain Elitist sites. Yeah. I'm seeing this now. This is the same type of mentality. And it's totally disgusting because when it comes down to it, we attribute to, to the, to the, to the uh, gaming community as a whole. However, these elitist sites take away from that. They hurt the cause. Uh, th- these elitist sites and that mentality are, are the reasons people don't even want to deal with gaming as a whole. Because they don't like that. And this is what I see right here. Here you are making fun of someone because they say words different. I say I butcher the English language, but that's because of my dialect, where I come from and everything. I have a southern accent. I know that. I, there's nothing I can do about that. If you got a problem, blame everybody in the South. Take, you know, go to that region and blow it up or something and get rid of that accent forever. It just, that's just the way it is. See, I know what I'm going to do now for the rest of the show. I'm going to talk like the rest of the show, like <laughs> Morgan Freeman. Because everything he says sounds smart. But what do you think just, of that? Well, <laughs> knock it off. I just don't okay. understand. <laughs> you know, I have no problem with critical comments. If you want to dog me out, dog me out. But dog me out and then, you know, provide that constructive criticism to make me a better person. Don't, you know, accuse and attack people and try to lower them and destroy them or whatever you plan on, whatever the intent is of this, this review was here, and then just leave it at that. No, totally childish. You know, if I knew where you lived at, I knew your real name and your address, I seen your little jack-in-the-box. <laughs> Send him a jack-in-the-box? 
Yeah. He's so you sit there Ryan. all day and just play the bing. You know, and just sit there in a the corner and do that for the rest of your natural life. But that's the only punishment I can figure that'd be good. I would send a recording of mispronounced words to him every single day. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't need that because remember, he's going to go back and piece all together for fun all the things you said wrong. So. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't like the thing about, you know, every nerd clan. You know? Yeah. And, and, I didn't like that either. Yeah, and then then use the term grognard. Okay, one. I started gaming in 1974. I was four years old. Okay, I don't consider myself a grognard. I I don't attribute any of that those words to me. But I have phenomenal attributes, and I'm kind, and I do care about people. So I can, I can change the words uh, attributes and attribute. And everything and all that stuff and everything. Yeah, it's but, like he, uh, but I know no, he uses those words like his prejudice and preferences, like the grognards. I mean, like really? Yeah, dude, grow yeah. up. I know. He's just you know because he's so above us, you know. Because and there's so, a guy I, like Nick and every nerd clan who's the butt <laughs> of every joke. <laughs> oh, I'm so above these people. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, fit anyway. enough to lick my character sheet. <laughs> anyway, so basically, just too stupid. So we're not going to spend any more time on it. Uh, let's head over to uh, some sage advice. Sage advice. Okay, sage advice. This week we have uh, a voicemail. Uh, this week by uh, an intelligent uh, listener, so we'll listen to that right now. Here we go. Hello, RFI casters. This is DM Kojo. I'm just calling in with a request for a creature feature theater. Specifically, a creature that I've never seen used in a published module. I'm sure they're probably out there, but not in any of the modules I've read. Um, and doesn't really get a lot of use is the Spectre. We've talked a lot about Undead and everything I know, but the Spectre seems to be an underused undead or creature in general. And I'd really like to hear your takes on the Spectre. I think it could be a very interesting either uh, big bad evil guy for a low-level party or, you know, maybe just an encounter in an adventure for a higher-level party. But uh, I think with their powers and abilities and things that they uh, can do, I think a very interesting but yet underused monster. So I'd like to hear your take on the Spectre in a future feature feature theater. Thank you very much. Have a good job. Well, all right. thank you, DM Koja, for calling in. And you can call on 570-865-4210, the hotline. And I'd like to say uh, DM Koja often calls in and he gives us uh, some critique, uh, some well-thought-out answers and uh, I mean, some questions. And uh, if he ever does have some criticism, he always backs it up with ways to improve. And we appreciate that. And, and you has- know what's so funny since you bring up DM Kojo, I like the guy because the guy is highly intelligent. Like I said, he always provides constructive criticism. But again, we had one of those superficial entities out there. We already know who that person was who dogged him out because he provided so much positive reinforcement to the show, to the forums, and, and to the gaming community as a whole. And someone took that and perverted it and dogged him out forever. And I, I'll tell you something. See, that's the sadness that I despise. So with that said, DM Kojo, keep doing what you're doing because you're doing it right. Yeah, that's I love the- you, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, Will, when you were at the convention, you said maybe like, I don't know, 20-something episodes ago, 
you said how you spoke to people and they had no idea there was an online community or a podcast because none of these people go online. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is the funny part because I went to GameStorm and that was about a year ago and it was really funny because uh, a guy heard my voice and he came over there and said, are you DM Will? And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. And so the conversation comes down and you know, it's funny because they heard my voice said, you do sound familiar. But a <laughs> lot of people, when I was down there with the first edition players down there, none of them knew about the RFI podcast. None of them even maintained a presence online. They don't even go online. They don't go to forums. They don't do nothing. And I see that a lot with, 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 with the majority of gamers that I personally kind of, I get, I, I understand people now. I talk to a lot of gamers out there. I go to a lot of gaming conventions. I meet a lot of people. I'm on panels and and it's, it's shocking that a lot of people don't know about the podcast or that there is an online old school gaming forum presence yeah well there's some there is some good ones and there's some bad ones so whatever anyway let's go on to our first email oh let, let's answer our wait, wait. yeah Kojo's oh we got to talk about dm kojo dm kojo yeah. i don't know what modules you're not reading but i can tell you there's a couple out there with specters in there yeah i was kind of racking my brain on that too and i'm thinking you know there has to be one i i'm why why am i thinking descent to the depths of the earth there's a specter in it well you know there are specters in quite a few modules i just can't pick, and i'm gonna tell you why i can't recall right off the bat because one specters should be extremely rare they're extremely powerful uh and, and to throw them against a low level party i don't know which idea of a low level party is but if you're saying one to three dm kojo that's a game i wouldn't want to play with because <laughs> yeah specter hits you that's two levels two level drains right there off the bat I think he was just mostly saying it was underused, and you know what's a way. Yeah, to you know what I, I think in a way, I, I think he's right that they are an underused creature. I, I don't recall anything like a specter being like the focus of an adventure. No, maybe not- as a random encounter, maybe yeah. as a planned encounter, but well, nothing as like the focus around a whole module or adventure. Right. Spectres should be very rare, and that's with most modules that have these energy drainers. There's, there's only one or two modules that really have a, a very big-time undead foe, and that's like Ravenloft or, right. or, or uh, what is that, S4? Uh, Tomb of Horrors? Yeah. No, not Horrors. That's S1. Well, the Demolition, you're right, S1, but the one with the vampire in S4. What's oh, uh, Lost Caverns of Zoicanth. Yeah, the Lost Caverns. Did I pronounce that right? Zoicanth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, did you okay, say it right? Just... I don't think you said it right. It's that dialect of yours. I'm sorry. I attribute the region you come from. Uh, but I uh, on the head with the monster. <laughs> specters. I, I do know there's some modules that do have specters in there. I know there's one in Ravenloft. I, 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 I can't say where it's at. I believe it's in, in, in the place where all the crypts are at. But yes, I mean, is it underused? No, not for being it rare. That's like saying the Demolich is an underused creature, even though it's, it's almost considered, you know, uh, ultra rare or not unique. But, you know, it's, it's that kind of rare, and that's what you want Spectres to be, extremely rare because they're extremely powerful. They're very dangerous. Well, well that's was, just, in a funny – yeah, they are rare according to the Monster Manual. A number appearing, one to six. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, well, if there's yeah. one to six, you know what? I and mean, you're talking about a low-level group? Uh, they're all dead. Well, you can yeah. always adjust it for a low-level group as opposed to uh, – say the, you said it was level drain. Maybe you can do a temporary uh, – like stat drain, for example, for just for the time being, and it, they pass out, or, you know, they die, whatever. But for the battle, well, and then they would have to rest for a day or so to get it back, just so you like, can use it. I guess to kind of put it in perspective, where the 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 specter lies on, like as far as 
um, how dangerous they are. When you look at the cleric, uh, the cleric is a cleric or a cleric. I want to pronounce it right. You're, you're right. Uh, Nick, okay. just go on. <laughs> the specter, or is, this, or is it spectry? I I, I've always said spectry, but I guess specter is the same thing. Specter's good. It's right <laughs> above the. It's between mummy and vampire. Like this, like for example, people say kobold, and then there's some people say cobalt. Yes. So like or cobalt or kobold. So it does, kobold. It just it all depends on our tiefling, tiefling. Or go. Does it really matter? Goblin. No, yeah. just wherever you were born, wherever you were, right. you were raised in, so just continue. Yes, <laughs> I know, sorry, kind of running gag here, but the the specter runs, it's in between mummy and vampire on the turning undead table. So, kind of gives you an idea how powerful these creatures are. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's almost right up there with a the vampire. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, just, I think we could yeah. do like a creature feature theater on it. Sure. Yes, please do, because I, I can discuss a lot about Spectres. I like them. Oh, well, we'll do it just for Will, then. No, just, no, no. Do it for DM Kojo and everyone else that wants to use Spectres. And all of our wonderful listeners out there. Yes, and listener, our RFI Nation, the good people. Yes. Anyway, we got an email coming in from Jonathan S. Hey, guys, I'm an avid listener. Oh, did I say that right? Avid? <laughs> Sorry, avid. Oh, my God, you mispronounced it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm an avid listener. The grammar to... Nazis are coming. <laughs> anyway, I'm an avid listener to your podcast. Good to see there are still people out there who play old school AD&D and that me and my gaming friends are not the only ones. I wanted to ask if you guys write a lot of your own dungeons now or do you just download and buy D&D dungeons from Watsy? Or actually, put Wizards of Coast. Watsy, same thing. And just back convert them to AD&D 1st and 2nd edition. I've never done anything 2nd edition, so bleh. The reason I ask, the reason I ask is because... Oh, that was a playful little taunt of the edition. Just yeah, yeah. So maybe I'd clarify that. The reason I ask is because I am a subscriber to the Wizards of the Coast D&D Insider, so I can download back copies of Dragon and Dungeon Magazines and I recently downloaded Dragon 182, which Will was looking for, for the ghost, uh, Return to the Ghost uh, Tower in Vernus. Yes, yep. oh, yeah. Return to the Ghost Tower in Vernus. Right, has all of printed in the Ghost Tower. I read through the dungeon and decided I would run this for my group of friends in December. This dungeon is listed as a low level, and the group I am running for this for are... Oh, wait, the group I am running for... Wait a minute. <laughs> the, the grammar... The group I am running this for is playing characters between first and second level. But the encounters in this dungeon that include fighting a Dretch, Orca Jelly, and a Spectre. I'm guessing that <laughs> D. <laughs> you like that? I'm guessing that, that D&D 4th edition must make low-level characters a lot tougher. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But what would you guys recommend replacing these monsters with something a bit easier to fight or just down the stats of the creatures, question mark. What sort of problems mm-hmm. have you encountered when trying to convert 4th edition to just basic AD&D 1st edition? Well, I don't think an ogre jelly is too tough. That was in basic AD&D for, at one point for the longest yeah, time. Yeah. A dretch, I don't know that offhand, Will? A dretch is a type of demon. I believe the dretch is found in the yeah. second Monster Manual, Monster Manual 2. It, it's a weird-looking, fat, little, tiny creature with long arms. Oh, okay. That's what a dretch is. I, and yeah, I guess it kind of looks like Danny DeVito on a bad day. Oh, yes. Geez. And I guess a specter wouldn't be too hard to uh, 
Yeah, that'd be too. That was kind of too. Powerful. I would probably replace the Spectre. You know, Unless I would I, probably downgrade that to like at least a white or even a ghast. I don't know. But as far as converting fourth edition to first edition, well, for me, I don't. <laughs> it's like comparing apples and orangutans. I just can't do it. Just stay away. Now, now, now that now that now the help if he wants to find other like adventures to use. Um, well, there's if you do some searches like on Google or um, I can actually think of one company that actually does some stuff. I believe it expedite. Expedites. Oh, darn Expeditious it. Retreat? I mispronounced it again. Is it Expeditious Retreat or something? Expeditious Retreat yeah. Press. They do a whole bunch of all new adventures. Uh, there, I found really good uh, stuff there. Um, like it also said, you can convert some second edition stuff. Um, and there's lots of uh, websites that you go out there that's for, that's you know, stuff for free if you check out their forums. So I, yeah. I like Expeditious Retreat. I always thought they had some pretty good stuff. I got a few of theirs. And it's not that hard to take a third edition module or a fourth edition module and replace it. All you do is just take the creature equivalent to first edition and plug in their stats. Mm-hmm. As far you as, could do that. As far as traps, when they have traps, you just, you, you basically as a DM to redesign them. So if they say it's a it's a pit trap or something and they have to do a plus two to disable it or something you just use your ju- your judgment on the uh the thieving abilities for first edition and you yeah those- i guess you could i just yeah. find a lot of i'm i'm a lazy dm i just don't, don't like to have doing a whole lot of converting i think fourth is it fourth edition is such a different animal compared to the first even second edition and to a lesser degree third that you know i i wouldn't want to bother converting it <laughs> If, at least for my personal taste, I think there's a lot of other stuff out there that that you could go beyond besides Wizards of the Coast to find stuff. If you want to take the time to convert it, go right on ahead. It's just not my cup of tea. Hmm. Not that hard, Nick. Trust me. Well, I'm lazy. What can I say? Well, if you're lazy, then it's hard. I'm a lazy DM. <laughs> Who mispronounces everything. Who mispronounces everything. Yeah. I don't know how to say nothing. <laughs> Will? Well? Well, yeah. Well, it's a deep subject. Oh, no. Uh, no. The, uh, you know, the thing with fourth edition, I think Vince gave the best, the best advice is that if you find a creature that is similar to something in first edition, just replace the two. Now, it doesn't take too much for the imagination to kick in, to modify and everything. It's, it's not that hard. Um, now, the, the question I had concerned his email was, I was confused there now. He wanted to use monsters for at lower levels. I was, what was he trying to say again? For what part? It was toward the very end. He wanted to use fourth edition monsters for what? He says, I'm guessing that D&D fourth must make lower level characters a lot tougher. Uh, what would you guys recommend replacing these monsters with to make it a bit easier to fight or just stat, oh. downstat the creatures? What well, sort of problems have you encountered when trying to convert fourth to first? Well, converting fourth to first is actually, it, it's not a difficult process. No. I mean, one, you're getting rid of all the, the entire stat block. Instead of a one-page stat block, you're reducing it down to maybe a 10-line stat block, which is real simple. Monster, frequency, hit die, hit points, alignment, 
number of tax damage, blah, 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 treasure, and then so on and so on. And then for the information that you don't know, just omit it. And from there on, just take it from there and everything. But my advice to you is simply just get buy a Monster Manual 1, 2, and, you know, Before and if you are. really want to get more monsters there, buy the, the monstrous compendiums and, and stuff for second edition and use that as well, too, and everything. And here's, the, here's the thing, though, that kind of sticks in my craw, though. Uh-oh. He's talking about this this new this uh, adventure to return to Ghost Tower of Inverness. Yes. Yes. And, and it's considered low level, right? Yeah. And there's a specter in there, right? Yeah. Yes. That's the problem. The power creep that totally came up in fourth edition compared, like the first edition AD and D. Low level is the the concepts of low level and fourth edition is light years difference between first edition was considered yes, low level. Totally. I so. mean, nobody in their right mind who's uh, a right minded DM would ever throw a specter into a low-level dungeon. Unless, Unless that specter was like, you know, the big bad guy that they had to eliminate. That would not be a like uh, a numbered encounter or a random encounter in a low-level dungeon. See, that's the thing that just... The conversion thing, yeah, you could easily convert the stats over. I could completely understand that. Now, as far as playability, what the difference between low-level... Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, it's funny how you say that with when you talk about the wandering monsters, because when you take a look at wandering monster tables, random tables, and in, in, in a lot of the modules, and I will say a lot because a lot of them are like that, and I find them a bit flawed, you'll find that the wandering monsters are usually much more powerful than the, the uh, characters, you know, can really handle deal with. Hmm. Really? Oh, yes. I mean, for example, I'll even use it for like B3. I'm sorry, B3. B1, Palace of the Silver Princess. When they get to the second level, they can run into Medusas. Ugh. As a wandering monster, and I'm thinking to myself, why would you want to run into a Medusa at that such a low level? Because, you know, I mean, right. it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's insanity. So if you take a, lot, a look at a lot of those modules from that era, look at uh, X, uh, X, X, uh, Castle Amber's X2. Look at the wandering monster table on that on on, on those charts. You say like, "Wow, these mm. people are only this level. Why would they put this creature in there?" And again, that's what they're dealing with. I don't know. Better have a cleric when it comes to a specter. You want to turn the thing at least. Yeah, well, the cleric won't be able to turn it at first level. So no way, <laughs> not even at third. See, and that's the whole point. And once that cleric sees that, I mean, sorry, when that's once that spectre sees that they clear it, <laughs> and then you know they try to make that turning check and everything, and if it fails, well, then that spectre hits that dog on cleric. Well, guess what happens? That bad boy ain't gonna be turning anything else later. No, he won't. And when you when a when a spectre attacks a person and kills them, <gasps> that person rises up as a spectre at, at half the power under the control of the spectre. Spectre that killed the, the thing. Spectre or Spectre? <laughs> three times funny. he said it wrong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he said it two people's, different ways. People's earphones are going to blow up. In the wow. same sentence, he said it two different ways. That's why I said I it is a lot. Awesome. That's funny. That's <laughs> awesome. I love it, man. It's my regional that I, I blame. I attribute my regional you know, background. Okay, here's a Spectre in 4th edition. I'm looking at it right now. I pulled out the the Monster Manual book that I have. Actually, my hands are burning just touching it. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You have to handle it with asbestos gloves? Yeah. Okay, it's a level 4 
lurker, whatever that means. I don't yes. know. I don't know. It what lurks it in the background. Okay. It's got a plus eight to initiative, whatever. Senses plus six dark vision. Okay, it's got a spectral chill cold aura, which I don't... Uh, enemies t in the aura take a negative two penny to all defenses. It's got an average of 30 hit points. Uh, its AC is 16, so equivalent of four in our edition. Uh, it's fortitude, don't worry about that. It's immune disease poison, resist 10 necrotic. I don't know what that means. What it means that it's resistant 10 necrotic is that if you type to do a damage with any type of, uh, any, any type of death spells that cause, you know, any damage caused by death spells, they have to do over 10 points of damage to do damage to the specter. Okay, this is where I could see it coming in to be different right here because basically they got rid of the level drain. Now when they attack, they do necrotic damage, which is, uh, it gives you a 1d6 plus 2 damage. Uh, let's see, there is nothing about here that you can go invisible until they attack, but there is nothing in here that is taking away level drains, but there is another version of a specter, a void soul specter, which is level 23, Ouch. and that one has a life siphoning uh, ability, uh, which he basically, when he attacks and hits you, he gets five points back to his attack, but there is nothing in here about level draining. So there is where the difference between the two specters is. Well, you would rather have the fourth edition specter than the first edition specter because the first edition specter is much more worse. Uh, yeah, so this is probably yeah. why it was included well, in that module because this is pretty much, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough boss pretty much. Yeah, I'm looking at the first edition specter and... Yeah, what we said before. I mean, there's number of periods, one to six. Armor class two, seven hit dice. It's yeah. got that energy drain, plus one or better weapons to hit. Oh, yes. That's nasty. Yeah. And I don't, is necrotic damage something bad in fourth edition? Uh, oh, yes, definitely so. Yes. What, what effects does it's, it have? It's damage, like from spells, like from necromancer spells, or any spell that has like a death aura around it or whatever, or is related to death, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So is, is that like one of those spells that has an effect that keeps going or something or yes they can some spells can do that okay. yes all right well you know so there you go so this is a uh this you'd probably rather have in the module than <laughs> but if you're doing what as we said you'd be swapping in a much more powerful monster which but proves to you that first edition ad and d is actually tougher because yeah. you got to think so anyway. <laughs> you could use this creature as is like this, and just say that his special touch does, we'll say, we can do, knock it down a little bit. Maybe he does 1d6 necrotic damage when he first attacks, and then every other round the players have to make a save, and they take an additional point of damage or something from the attack. Yes, exactly. Just like Mummy Rot, you know, you get worse and worse. Mm -hmm. or like, and also the thing with the, the cold R, it does so much damage within a certain radius that as long as you continue to fight within a radius, you suffer some type of cold damage. And not the cold damage where it goes down in temperature, but the damage that affects your psyche, your soul, that kind of cold damage, if you get where I'm coming from. Yes. It's like a drain on your mental... You know you know what I'm saying. And you I know exactly what you're talking about. I know yeah. in... Uh, if you want to talk real world, people who investigate these sorts of, like, you know, paranormal stuff, the psychic cold right. that some people experience, I guess it's kind of the same thing. 
No, it's the same that Ghost Rider, when he burns people, he's not physically burning them with fire. He's burning right. their soul with that soul right. fire mess with a hell I guess fire, it'd be I guess it'd be something similar if you want to I guess draw an analogy. Yeah. I would I don't know, look at this. Uh I'd rather yeah. Hundred hundred and seventy five experience points for this monster. Wow. That's it. <laughs> anyway. It's so a wuss compared to the first edition Spectre. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, so but well, we're showing our grognardiusness yeah, stuff. Yes. So thank you, Jonathan. That's uh, rfistaff at gmail dot com was our email address. We have one last email coming from Greg. Hey guys, I just finished listening to your Underdark episode, issue number seventy eight, and back in volume one. Just Ooh. wanted to say this is directed to you, Nick. Yes. Just wanted to say thanks for some good tips you gave me for my current Underdark game. I'm looking to add an Underdark City for my PCs to explore. Mm. And I was wondering if DM Nick has made any of the Underdark City that he mentioned available online, question mark. If not, has he considered selling it on RPG now? Also, I was wondering if you guys had any good ideas for running a game where the PCs are members of Underdark Mercenary Group. Thanks for the Ooh. podcast. Thanks again for the podcast, Greg. Well, I'll answer the first part and then some answer the second, I suppose. Um... I haven't made it available online. I'm talking with my friend Jeff uh, since he got back from Afghanistan. We are looking at, I'm hoping maybe through this Christmas and stuff, this this uh, holiday season, that since we're both going to have some time off, to look at what we have, see how we can add things more, see what we need to do as to make it maybe a publishable product. I think... We're going to have some problems when it comes to things like um, product identity. Yeah. Because we're using monsters. I know there are a few monsters that I guess are product identity, the Watsy, namely Mind Flayers, Beholders. Oh, boy. Everything that's under their um, IP, yeah. (laughs) I forget there was maybe one more. Why don't you throw a Rust monster in there to get the full IP in there? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, I think there's they, they have like a list of like 20 monsters that they consider like product identity to yeah, what they own property. for D&D. Yeah. Gith Yankees, Gith Zerai, Mind Flayers, Beholders. Uh, or something like that, I don't know. Uh, there's some, a few, I think there's maybe a couple of demons. I don't know, I have to look at the, dis, uh, the, the, the list again. But I guess I need to find out legally... I don't know. Everything's gotten weird now since the republication of the first edition books. I don't know. There might be a gray area here I don't know about. As far I mean, as what? You know, as far as can I use the names of those creatures or no. do I have to rename them still? You, you have to rename them still. Really? Yes. They are not to. They are still listed under the intellectual property of Wizards of the Coast. And they're not to be used unless specific consent is, I guess, given by Wizards of the Coast. So I would have to get permission to use them. Yeah, which you will not get. <laughs> well, we don't. Well, we'll see. It depends on who I go through. If I go through an actual company to publish this, if I do publish it. All right now, always... now if I do it for free, uh, I don't know if there's anything they could do to me because I'm not making any profit from it. No, what you could do is you could just list those intellectual property creatures as C Monster Manual One. Right. So that way I you... can do that. Now, if I, I, that's what I think. If I don't, if I, if we do this as a nonprofit thing, we just let it go as like a free PDF. 
I don't think they can do anything because I'm not profiting from it. They could, uh, based on the fact that you're giving away their information, I think it, I th- it falls under giving away their product without payment or some weird thing. Mm. Yeah, you can't you can't put their stuff down and give it away. You'd have to actually uh, get permission for it. So using mind flares and beholders, apparently that's it's fine to use them. As Just I'd have to call them something else. You'd have to use them something, call them something else, and change the stats around a bit. I thought I just had to give them a different name. Yeah, I would change the stats around just to be safe. Well, no, I'll have to find out. But yeah, that's where we're kind of at. We're not sure about if we can even release this because it's a whole underdark kind of setting. And what are some key creatures that live in the underdark? Well, mind flayers and big holders, along with drow and you know ooh, the dugger, the deep dwarf, you know the those evil gray dwarves. Uh, yeah, and those the deep gnomes. And the person that gave it the review today. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, uh, cool. Uh, second part: mercenary groups. I don't know about that. I've never dealt with mercenary groups really. In the Underdark? That's actually a really cool idea, though. Yeah, I, I've never... I don't have really played Underdark much, to be honest. Hmm. Well, well, mercenary groups, uh, it, it, it's not an unheard of topic, and it's an element that I use in my one campaign that I've, you know, I've been running for the last 27 years, and uh, I, I like the option. I think that... not. Let's be realistic to a certain extent in, in these fantasy game settings. It, it would be... Not on call for it. Have mercenary groups. If you can have mercantile groups, if you can have thieve guilds, I mean, who is who is who is hiring who to protect you know caravans? Yeah, it would be necessary. It, it would be simple. To, I mean, I'd be simple to think up. You know, there'd be mercenary groups I, to hire. I think a good uh, place to look for inspiration that kind of did like for mercenary or adventurer groups is uh, Forgotten Realms, especially the uh, first edition box set. Yep. There's a, they have nice listing of about mercenary adventurer groups. Now, just to kind of off the top of my head, when you tie in this into the Underdark, who I would see would want to make mercenary groups, you know, uh, Swords for Hire, uh, I would see, I could definitely see the Drow hiring mercenaries. Always. I could see the, um, I could see the Deep Dwarves, the Duger would do such a thing, maybe. Uh, maybe even the the deep gnomes, and I believe that their actual name is pronounced Nerf Neblin. I think I actually pronounced that right. <gasps> yeah. Nick, you get a cracker. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> I'd rather take experience points, but hey, cracker's good too. All right, we'll give you ten experience points. Yay! You can actually level up now. Wonderful. But uh, yeah, I Drow would definitely hire on mercenaries. Maybe even oh. uh, those. Uh, was it Grey Dwarves, the Duger? I think they're the Grey Dwarves. Yeah. Um, any large organized uh, race of the Underdark, I th- in one way or another, might want to hire mercenaries. Some of them, I think, just because of the nature of the race, because they are so arrogant, mm. uh, bordering on hubris, uh, like Beholders and Mind Flayers, I don't think would... My, I don't think would do mercenary groups. Yeah. Who but knows? some of the other races, I think they would. 
I know that mind flayers, mind flayers will probably do uh, mercenary groups to go find them more, you know, victims or, you know, slaves to either feed upon or to, you know, whatever. I, well, how we wrote up the mind flayers for ours, because they always, and I draw, I got some inspiration. There was an excellent ecology of the mind flayer uh, article way back in the day of the dragon magazine. I used this for some of the inspiration. The, the races I use that were associated with mind flayers are creatures that not are exactly uh, are tasty to the mind flayers. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to eat their brains. So uh, things like what the mean locks, I think they're called. They're oh, like mean locks, yeah. Mean locks out of the fiend folio. Um, they also, they'll use ogre magi. They'll use, um, but, but, they they won't use them as mercenaries. They they look at them as subordinates. They they use for their control, to for their ultimate means. So, how did you treat mind flayers? And since we're talking about them in the dark, mind flayers and abeliths. Do you have them as mortal enemies? Actually, uh, didn't get that far into that yet. You know, I still have to figure out how a relationship would be between those two races, but. Yeah. Bringing that up, I would think that would be another adversarial relationship because yeah, they are they, they're very similar yep. in their outlooks. They're each one sees themselves as a master race. Yep. Um, the, how we kind of took the difference on it this, uh, between like beholders and mind flayers that there's kind of like an uneasy truce between the two. They're kind of like. They won't want to go to fisticuffs to each other because they know um, it would be – I guess the best way to describe it, it, there's a cold war between beholders and mind flayers in our campaign setting. That mm-hmm. they, If they do any sort of stuff between the two, it's kind of like proxy wars, if you will. But like the abolith and mind flayers, I would see that as a lot more confrontational, a lot more confrontational. You can always rename the mind flayers to how people refer to them. Like they call them squid heads. You can call them squid heads. I think I can actually use <laughs> illithid. I could use illithid. Can you? Yes. It okay. says under their uh, listing, it says mind flayer. Doesn't say I can't use illithid. Right. Yeah, I think the problem is, though, that uh, I don't think you can use that because I, I don't know if Paizo attempted that and they failed. I don't think you can use that term either. I'm I'm such a small fish; they wouldn't come after me anyway. Well, that's not true because they can't. They went after somebody who was selling artwork a while back. Uh, he had a beholder. He had a mind flare. Uh, not a mind flare. He had a beholder and a rust monster in his artwork, and they cease and desisted him. And he was only really? a little guy. He wasn't selling it for much, like maybe two or three bucks. The artwork. Well, that's the thing. If well, kind of going on the other thing. I don't know if if I if I don't do it for profit. If I'm doing it for free i'm not sure how they would you know approach it but i'm gonna find out from somebody uh from a few people i know i'm gonna i'm gonna try to talk to frank metzer about this because yeah. i hopefully might be doing some work for them in the future I'm, i don't know if i mentioned that in the past but i'm gonna try uh, yeah. give a hold to jason too i mean he, yeah you know what yeah he's good I'm with the intellectual jason property because he's 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 connected with those people, you know, with, with the new Gygax magazine. Maybe they might know, too. In fact, if you guys are listening, <laughs> uh, 
give me a holler back here <laughs> and let me know what I what I can and cannot do. So thanks. <laughs> yeah, at least if anything, Jason can direct you to the right person to ask the question. I've asked him a bunch of questions. And, oh, I tell you that yeah, the expert on that that would be James Ward. Yeah, yeah, but he's very busy right now. So yeah, but I'm just saying, if anyone knows anything, that would be James Ward because he had to deal with that issue with the D20 and all that other stuff. Oh man, that was just horrible. Well, either Jim Ward, Tim Cask, and the rest of that crew, whoever's available, who's listening, you know, you know, get back to me through the through our you know through our forums, through our website, you know, and uh, yeah, hey, <laughs> we'll see what happens from there, right? Sounds good to me. Okay. Anyway, uh, so that's Sage Advice, and we'll head into our next segment, uh, Table Matters, in just a moment. Uh, we're gonna This week, we're going to be uh, focusing on what people like. Uh, as of recent, uh, we're going to focus on a module, mm. and uh, it's a very well-known module. It's from the A-series. In fact, it's A1 Slips. Slips, yeah. I guess I mispronounced that. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. A1 Slave <laughs> Pits of the Undercity. So this is a good one to pay attention. I think it's levels. Uh, I don't have the module in front of me at the four moment. Four to seven. Four to levels seven. I was going to say seven. that. Anyway, let's get into the table matters next. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, here we are in table manners, and like Vince said previously, we're going to be talking about module. A1, Slave Pits of the Undercity by David Cook. Mm-hmm. And this was an adventure for characters level 4 through 7. This is part of the, the famous A series of modules that were published back in the early 80s, modules A1 through A4. We're going to cover A1. And it originally was a tournament module for Gen Con 13. Yes. So a um, little bit of Gen Con history uh, there for us. So in this segment, I'll talk about the basic story of this uh, first module. Then I'll get into like maybe some plot hooks that you can use as a DM when you want to put this into your particular campaign, how you can get the your uh, player characters involved with this and um, cover any uh, good and bad points in this one particular module. So just doing the general background of this. And for I'm just going to kind of read a little bit here and there, maybe paraphrase on the background of this. Mm-hmm. Several years, organized bands of pirates and slavers been raiding the coastal towns of the Sea of Gearnat. Now, just a little FYI, this module, like most of the modules prior to 1985, I would say, by TSR, were focused on the world of Greyhawk fantasy campaign settings. So everybody grab your Greyhawk maps, your gloss auguries and what have you. Ooh, and go to Anna's along. website, right? Well, and that's right. website. Yeah. And his website, ghmaps.net, And you could probably find this uh, listed in there. In fact, absolutely. Yep. So, um, it goes on saying raging, uh, ranging from on wall to the wild coast. They have descended quickly and ruthlessly on small towns of villages Taking citizens in the middle of the night, um, the local lords and other communities uh, haven't done much to them because at first it was just like little hit and miss operations. 
that they were conducting. But recently, the attacks became more numerous, more threatening, and um, the lords that are local have finally become determined to take action. <laughs> and they said, forgetting their petty squabbles, they unite against the marauders of the yellow sails through information gained from the escaped slaves and those fortunate enough to have been found and bought by families or friends, lords have tracked the slavers to a port. Um, this port is the city of Highport. And it's in the Pomarge, which is uh, basically like a demi-human uh, uh, realm, which is, I believe, south of the Wild Coast. And this, this adventure kind of starts, I, I guess the term would be in media res, where you start at the beginning, right where they think where the you're already in high port, yeah, and you've already found the um, where the slavers are, their stronghold in the city of High Port. Hmm. So that's how it kind of starts. Um, the tournament start puts them right in front of the secret entrance. Yeah, it basically puts yeah. you right in front of the entrance to. To a temple that was once devoted to a god, but now has, uh, now it doesn't say what god it is that was no. this temple that was once dedicated to. Now, I did a kind of a little research on this when I was reading through the module. Now, using this as in the Greyhawk fantasy came, campaign setting, um, I would say the when there was a few references here to she or her mm. as far as whatever goddess so it was definitely a a female god it's definitely a goddess yeah i think it was during the time when they were still inventing a lot of things for greyhawk so i don't think they they left it open so that you could decide on your own kind yeah. of yeah maybe I think gary maybe. had an idea going for this and then he decided nah don't worry about it i i would think if you were going to Maybe say if it was a temple devoted to a goddess, I would say either Marika, mm. who's the goddess of agriculture, or maybe even Biori. She's the she's a nature goddess, I believe. Uh, yeah. World of Greyhawks. So, if if you want to try to tie this in somehow, maybe one of the plot hooks I was thinking of before is maybe one of those, um, one of those uh, temples. Yeah. Of Biori or Marika, maybe they just they lost contact with this particular temple, and they wanted to find out why. And they in the city of Highport, maybe that would be something, hmm. or they're trying to reestablish. Just one of those ideas that you can use as a plot hook. So the regular it, start puts the adventurers outside the walls of the ruined temple compound, while the tournament start puts them behind the temple at the secret entrance. Yeah. <laughs> so so just, there's yeah, yeah there's the there's the tournament part and then there's the regular um uh campaign parts to this. Which I I found were a little bit weird. Yeah. But um, why they did that. I don't maybe just to, I mean cuz I maybe cuz of the role playing aspect of sneaking around in the beginning or Yeah, maybe I think also Part of it was, I think, when you look at the secret entrance part, if, if anybody else has this, you're kind of looking around. I believe it's they start you in front of the secret entrance at 1A. Behind, it says behind the back of the temple, yeah. So I'll cover that. Okay, well, we'll, we'll move yeah. on from that then. We'll cover that. I think that's more because the tournament part, you're talking about time constraints. 
So. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. We'll cover that in the next thing. But some of the things I found interesting in this adventure is, as I reread through it, I uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised at, at uh, the for one the dungeon ecology, hmm. um, particularly on the second level when you get down into the sewers. Yeah. I thought the dungeon ecology, I'm, I'm not a real, I really don't care much about the dungeon ecology stuff because it's D&D, you know. It doesn't really have to make sense. But in this way, it does. I like how the new monster that they threw in here, I think we're going to talk about later, the Aspis, works in conjunction with giant ants. Yeah, they're very, yeah, well, I'll talk about that later. So. <laughs> yeah, but I thought that was really cool on how the dungeon ecology of, of the adventure actually kind of works. You notice something about the artwork throughout the whole module? It looks yeah, it's uh, black and white. Yeah, obviously it's black and white. Thank you, Will. <laughs> you get a cookie for that one, Will. <laughs> no, the thing I wanted to point about the module it's very Marvel superhero like. If you look at it, just take a step back and look at the characters. I don't know. It's kind of like they took drawings and just put fantasy stuff on it from a superhero book. Uh, I guess a little bit. Yeah, kind of. You look at some of the pictures, and it kind of looks like that. But all right, go ahead. Go keep going. Um, <laughs> it's like they use stock art. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't stock art, but uh, I thought what was cool. Well, if you want to talk about artists, the the artists that were on this uh, were, let me see, Jeff D., uh, oh. David S. LaForce, Jim Rosloff, and Bill Willingham. Jeff D. did some of that. That's, that, that explains a lot of That's the, the that's the cover. Yeah. Jeff D. did the cover. He also did, well, yeah, he did the front and back. Um, I'm sure I he did. I don't know if he did any of the interior art. I'm trying Page to, 14, I, I think he did because it says D on there. Yeah, for, yeah, absolutely. And those uh, are not orcs with pig faces. Yeah, they have more of a of an ape-like look to them. Yeah, Maybe really. His orcs kind of ape-looking. Um, yeah, that's definitely Jeff D.'s work. And Willingham's work, you could you could tell for sure as well. But mm-hmm. um, some of the good things, like I said, the dungeon ecology, I thought was done really well in this. I think it's a also one of the good things. It's a great start to one of the classic campaigns, is the Slave Wars series. Yeah. I mean, it just <laughs> some of it doesn't really get any better than that. I I like the simple fact that the Slave Lords. You know, they're most of them are humans. You know, you're not dealing with demons or anything like that. You're dealing with just some really, really bad people. <laughs> you know, I think that was one of the cool points on this adventure. You know, it's um, really cool. The cemetery area with the plants, how the goddess willed the uh, the plants to come alive, to be animated. Yes, I love that part. That cemetery part was actually very. Very interesting. If you stray off the path even a little bit, you're going to get like grabbed by some tangle, some brush, or some weeds, or uh, God knows. You might even encounter some ghouls in there. Uh, like the, for example, you have a random roll when you're walking around off the path, like you said. But the first one, branches and weeds bend and move, blocking the path beyond the last person in the party. Mm-hmm. To return the way that they came, a party would have to cut through this overgrowth. Yeah. See, that's why when I was reading through this, I was thinking I th- this temple at one point must have been devoted to some sort of nature goddess. Yeah. 
So that's so if you want to try to do a tie into that, if you want to get some real detail, you can oh, go to that aspect too. This one cracks me up. Number three, the branches of a bush will attempt to pickpocket. Remember the part? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. That that could actually be kind of detrimental. It's like, okay, what was in your backpack here? A, oh. It's a small item, though, but it's just kind yeah. of funny that the bushes are pickpocketing people. Yeah, why not? You know, maybe a potion. Maybe the bushes want to go out to the casino. They need some money, right? You never know. You they never need know. fertilizer too. Yeah. Anyway, so I'll continue along. Go ahead, Nick. Um, but overall, I one of the things I found interesting is typical of of a lot of the adventures of this type came out at this time. You have a solution to a problem that's going to um, come ahead of you. For example, uh, there is a section here where you come across um, an alcove where there is a bunch of uh, a few barrels of like uh, of, of uh, wine mm-hmm. that has soured to vinegar. The yeah. next encounter at this time, which was a new monster, is a giant sundew. Which had lets out its like sticky tendrils, black tendrils, and tries to, you know, touch you and 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 take you into its um, into its clutches. Yes. Uh, what's the one thing in the description that dissolves the stickiness? I don't know what. Uh, well, things like alcohol, yeah, <laughs> vinegar, things mm-hmm. like that will dissolve the tendrils of the honeydew. So. You know, this is kind of like one of those things that were that were common in the era. And, and you know what? I kind of like it's it's uh, maybe it's campy a bit, but I kind of like camp a little. I watch Mystery Science Theater 3000, go figure. Woo-hoo. Anyway, so, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things which shows that this was definitely a tournament module because there's a situation that arises where the adventuring party is going to face an encounter where they might not have a normal means to get through it, but somewhere in the vicinity of that encounter is a solution, you know? Sort of like going to the, you know, slaying the red dragon. What do you find in its horde? A plus five sword versus red dragons or something. You know? (laughs) Who wrote this, Gary Gygax? (laughs) So that was one of the things I enjoyed about this. Another, I guess, is the... um, (laughs) <laughs> the denizens of this temple that took it over. There are some things in this in, that uh, took up residence later on after it's mostly orcs and half orcs that are working with the slavers in here. But there's a few things that they're afraid of that they avoid, namely those basilisks. Or- I love the basilisk den because there's there's like a 10-foot wall that separates the basilisk from the rest of the temple. So that lends me to believe at one point or another, and I think it's in the adventure, like whoever encountered these before were smart enough to say, you know what? We can't kill them, but you know what? We're going to keep them around. (laughs) Mm. They're good to get rid of, um, you know, whoever we might capture who are, you know, trying to take us out. I just thought that was kind of cool. They, they're like, <laughs> we're even avoiding this area. So, so I think those are some of the the good points on this. Um, 
I like the use of the new monster, the Apsis that we're going to talk about later. Yeah, even uh, the 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 random encounter is pretty decent looking if you look at it. Yes, that. and I'm actually glad you brought that up. I almost forgot about the wandering monster roster. I thought this was really good. They actually put in the wandering monster roster section that when these creatures are encountered, there is a count. Say, for example, uh, the you know wandering monsters. One of them is crocodiles. Uh, if you sewer, if they yeah. encounter a couple of the cro- crocodiles in the sewer section, you deduct it from the total of ten crocodiles. <laughs> so, to me, that makes sense. Yeah, you know I mean, it doesn't mean there's like this giant random monster generator machine out in this out in the, out under this whole dungeon that's spitting out green slime gasks and doppelgangers and crocodiles there is a finite amount of random encounters that your uh, your party members are going to run into so you got to deduct it from the toll and that makes a lot of sense to me hmm. so i thought that was i thought that was a pretty cool thing and i think that some of these um they're asterisk and if they're like, for example, we were talking about those basilisks. If you encounter them as a wandering uh, monster and you eliminate them, once you go to their lair, they're not de- there. They're they were out somehow got out of their lair, <laughs> and you were able to eliminate them before you got to their lair. Yeah. So, do you think uh, it was they were a little bit liberal with giving out magical items in this? Um. I'm seeing because I'm I'm scanning through it as we're talking after reading it, and I remember looking, seeing there was quite a bit of magical stuff that they threw out, but nothing I think that was overly powerful. I don't think there was anything really here that, at least in my opinion, that was uh, unbalancing. I uh, I'm looking, you know, a plus one cloak of protection, a potion of healing, a uh, plus one dagger. Plus two versus magic user enchanting creatures. Not all that powerful. Um, I, to me, it didn't seem that bad as far as magic items. I thought it was okay. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I kind of thought it was a little bit more. I guess I'm more, uh, more strict about giving out magical things, and I guess I guess the word is a stingy DM. I guess you can call me and. I don't like my characters getting too powerful. I don't like superhero games like indie. Oh, oh, neither do I. But uh, looking at the the actual magic items that that it has in here, many of them are you know one shot use, a potion of speed, a potion of healing. Um, there's a scroll of protection from petrification. Um, those are one shots. Uh, as far as ones that you know that are permanent, plus one mace. The one dagger I mentioned, uh, I don't see really anything else that is a plus one ring of protection. I saw a cloak plus one, deck, deck, gauntlets of dexterity, uh, plus one dagger, plus two versus magic users and enhanced creatures, things like that. I don't know. I thought maybe it was a little bit much in certain. There was a lot of gold was given out, a lot of platinum as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. See, well, I guess yeah. it depends on, like you said, like your your idea of you know what you consider too much. 
for me, doesn't seem a whole lot. I don't, I don't know. I, I, would, I don't like fast level up when I'm DMing. I like to level up how it's supposed to be done. It takes a long time to level up. Mm-hmm. And that's like a whole other <laughs> discussion and how other people handle it. <laughs> I've gotten in that too. Like, you know, I don't give out experience points for, uh, for uh, gold pieces. And I think we've talked about that before. We had a we had a discussion about something like that about experience points and how it should be divvied. Yeah, we won't get into that again. But uh, yeah, you did say that. Yeah, true. Yeah. So um, now, as far as like, I th- those are some of the highlights. I, the some of the things that I enjoyed a lot of the good points in that. I don't really see a whole lot of bad points. I guess the only real bad point I see about this adventure is like it says it throws you a plop right there, right in front of the. Uh, where the slave lord uh, 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 holding is in Highport, there's no "how did we get here" <laughs> sort of thing, you know. How did we, you know, find out all this information? How did we travel here? All that sort of thing. If that's part of your campaign, so I guess as far as plot hooks, uh, one of the plot hooks you could use is like at the very beginning of the module, maybe there are the um, the raids that are happening and you just leave out the part that is, um, you know, you get to that point where you find, you know, you find out that it's high port. Maybe you have a few adventures where you have to capture some slavers that maybe some of these local Lords have said, okay, we've had enough. We're hiring you guys to actually capture some slavers and find out where they're coming from. So, Maybe that would be a good plot hook. Mm, so you set up a few, maybe a little mini adventure on maybe at a town on the coast. You go to that town. Maybe you do some uh, digging in the town. Maybe there's some uh, agents for the slave lords in that town. You find out about them. Maybe you capture them and they reveal information. Or maybe they raid this particular town every so often. You're just waiting for the next time when they show up. So... Yeah, you can, I would say that would be a really good plot hook to use. You know, and I can. Well, I'm actually kind of thinking about Module U1, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. It's mm-hmm. very similar in a case where you have to actually go out to a ship. Maybe you got to do the same thing here. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to capture the slave lords that are coming by sea. Maybe you have to actually go out to a ship and uh, and um, and raid that ship and take it over. That might be a good plot hook. There might be a way to even tie those two adventures together. I don't know. Maybe just borrowing some ideas from that one adventure, a Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh, and use that as your plot hook into this adventure. So that's one really good one I could think. Can you think of any uh, plot hooks there, Vince? You can throw I, think, I think what you said was pretty much good. But I do like the fact of how they start you in certain places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's good for the tournament part. Some some uh, DMs might like a little bit more of a, you know, start them a little bit further back, like I was saying. How about how about you, Will? What do you think as far as plot hooks kind of throwing them in to this adventure? Plot hooks, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. Well, now, if you are playing this as a regular play module, just forget the tournament rules and all that other crap. Right. right. I would actually come up with a small mini-adventure prior to this. Yeah. And now, 
I wasn't going to discuss this when it was my turn to talk, but okay, uh, okay. in my early days, I ran this both as a tournament module and as a regular campaign module. And how high that connect was that using my players' backgrounds, I would have one or two of the players that had relatives that would disappear. Oh, okay. And well, that their families would say, listen, they've been kidnapped. And then give them a little thing. The lords of the land have been dealing with these slavers and everything. And they, they took your cousin. They took your uncle. They, and they did this. Help me. You know, that kind of, you know. Uh, and that makes it a lot more personal, don't it? Yeah, it does, actually. Yeah. And that like gives that, them yeah. a reason, you know, to mm-hmm. go. But then how I did it, I put it in there as not as a, uh, a red herring or as a herring or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I did it, if, especially if they were in the middle of another adventure. Then I would let that come in so that when they got done with that adventure, then they said, like, well, I really like to go save my uncle. Will you uh, all come I with see. me? So it's yeah, kind of like a, you're planting that seed there, if you will. Yes, it's just a seed because you want – so you plant it there. So when they get to the end of the adventure, then you find it gets a lot worse. Not as not, not as it's just the uncle's missing. Okay. Now two, three cousins and another uncle, another aunt, and so on, they're also missing. Maybe the grandfather or maybe a father or mother, depending on how young the characters are, have disappeared or they've been kidnapped. And, 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 and you, know, you see where I'm coming from on that. Yeah, um, I, I definitely see that. And – I'm pretty much done what I had to say on my section. So unless you guys All had right. something else to add, let's uh, then let's jump over to uh, DM rules. Yeah, let's jump over the DM rules then. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. Okay, this is DM Will. We're going to talk about A1. <laughs> Thank you, DM Will. <laughs> <laughs> so today I'm going to discuss the difference between <clears throat> the uh, module as far as from a tournament aspect and that of a regular campaign module. Yeah. Well, uh, now, like, uh, uh, Nick? Yeah. yeah, me. Yeah, Nick, the other, the other co-host. The one who can't, uh, I can't pronounce words. Like, you know? right. <laughs> like, Mont- Will said last Matt's week. Not here today. Matt's not here today. So I say a tribute, yet. not oh, attribute. Yeah. So Nick said that this module was originally ran at Gen Con 13, which was some years ago. And since my other part of the internet went down, I can't give you a specific date. However, I remember when this module came out because I I got it as soon as it was made available to you know customers. Mm-hmm. When I was down there in Alabama, we ran this as a tournament module. To start off with, because our intent was, and the future was, and it actually worked out six months later, we actually had a D&D uh, uh, tournament there. So we used this uh, area of slave, yards, uh, slave lords as a, as a test tool to see how we can run a successful D&D tournament. Now, with the rules in this, the rules are very different in this compared to some of the other tournament modules like uh, the Hidden Shrine of Tomokin um, and some of the other. There's some vast differences in here. In this case here, with this particular module, you're going to come across two sets of maps. You're going to have the ones that are colored in blue, and then you're going to have the ones that says tournament maps that are all in black and white. Right. Yeah. 
you will notice that with the tournament module, you will only use the one that say tournament maps, and you'll find out that the the, the majority of the rooms have been blacked out on both the first and second level. Mm-hmm. If you're doing the tournament module, you are only going to allow the adventurers to go into those rooms on the black and white maps, plain and simple. Uh-huh. All the other rooms have been omitted. Right. Omitted, 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 omitted. removed. Omitted? <laughs> yeah, omitted. They've been taken away. They have been taken away, so you don't run them through there. Uh, true abuse. I also know. <laughs> I also heard Vince talk about the leveling up portion. Yes. In the tournament modules, they do not gain experience and level up. Right. That is made very plain and clear. They will level up as they proceed in the tournament portions. Right, the they tournament will dictate. They, they have an automatic level up thing, so the players will not concern themselves with killing as many monsters or doing all this. In the event of this tournament, when I remember as it being run back in the day, good God, that was a long time ago, <laughs> it was a timed tournament. Yep. When so you, you are yeah. in a timed D&D tournament, the goal is is to get as far as you can, you know, doing what you can and trying to avoid all the big heavy fighting and all the crazy crap. Right, right. Oh, yeah, that's like that with any, almost any tournaments like that. You're only given like yeah. three or four hours. Right. Because that's the time and, slot they have at the, at, the, uh, con- at the convention. Right. Now, with the A1, this particular module is run for two sessions, the first level and the second level. And as you can see, they provided nine pre-generated characters. And being a tournament module, you will use the pre-generated characters. Yep. Now, I will have to tell you, there was one thing that you all did miss. Nothing major and everything. I found the character names horrendous. <laughs> well, I wasn't really concerned with that. So. Well, those pre-generated character names are just horrible. Fanstern. Uh, was that? Ogre. Elwida. Frida. Caraway, Blodgett, oh please, give me some fantasy names. Ugh, those names are just horrible. I like Cain. That's not too bad. Yeah, there's like one or two that are fine, but the mother ones horrible. Ugh, Blodgett, <laughs> Blodgett. Yeah, good lord. Anyway, when we jump back to the tournament side house, there is a scoring system, and the scoring system actually for this tournament series is very, very simple. For example, at the very start, when you're set in that particular area, which I believe was in the back, in the back, right, of 1A by the secret door. Yeah. Scoring adjustments. Well, if someone decides to cast invisibility on the halfling to go through the door, that's plus seven experience points or plus seven uh, points. Uh, room one, there's a trap there, which you have to read that carefully, but there's a 1A. 1A and a 1B, wherever the trap is, it says room one. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure which room one they're concerning. I'll have to take a look at that. And I will tell you, there is some errata for this doggone module because there are some mistakes in here. There's a plus four attempting to find trap. Room two, there are no adjustments. Room four is very interesting. Plus A minus four for attempting to cross on charred section, which is the board, I believe. Oh, no, I'm sorry, which is the uh, the thing around the room. And then there's a plus four for using spider climb, levitate, or climb walls to, uh, you know, get across. 
So it, it, it was very specific that you went into a room, you would only get points if certain actions were conducted. Yeah. Which is kind of sad because if someone came up with a very, very, very good idea that's not even mentioned on here, there are no bonus points. Yeah. How do you score that or do you score it at all? It's not scored whatsoever. Yeah. With the criteria of the tournament scoring, which is very specific, you cannot deviate from, you know, what they have and the guidelines. Mm-hmm. You brought up room 10 with the basilics. Yep. But in the tournament, there are no basilics. That's right. <laughs> so it's a non-factor. The basilics, that is a killing room. It is a nasty room. And I feel sorry for the players that go into that, that room and everything. But like I yeah. said, they're hiding behind that wall. Right. Which means that the characters are probably going to go in there during the, in the campaign portion. Well, there's a big wall right there. Let's see what's behind there. As exactly. Soon as they get the room, the basilics hear them. They hear the growling, and the basilics come out. And guess what? Da da da! Turn the stone, and you're done. Uh, let me see here. I'm just looking at some of these rooms in here. Oh, you will also notice if you look at the tournament map and the the campaign map, mm-hmm. there is a discrepancy. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and that was one thing. I just on, on which level? The first or second level? The first level. Okay. Take a look at room seven. Yep. Okay, well, let me take that back there. I'm sorry. Take a look at 12A. Okay. Yep. See there, it says uh, on, the, on the 12A, there is a, uh, an F there, a floor opening there. Where does that go to? So it took me forever oh. to figure out where in the world does that go to. But if you look at the tournament map, it, it, 12A, it says C, and there's a room 7 there. Do you see that? Oh, that concealed uh, door. Uh, that concealed, yeah. Wait, that, that, that stairway, and if you take a look at that stairway, the stairs go down or they go up. But where do they go to? So that was a big discrepancy there. Hmm. Then I just realized how that all fit in there. So, and actually, what I'm doing just my, just to let y'all know, my goal right now, I'm converting this completely over into Pathfinder to the Pathfinder rule set. Oh, cool! Oh cool. yeah, and it, actually, it's working out very excellent. Actually, I like how it's set up, and uh, and I'm going to do it from both versions for the tournament and for the uh, the regular one. I'd like to see how that works. Anyway, yeah, so I, I, I notice these discrepancies as I'm going back, you know, being very careful to make sure everything is done exactly as it is here, but that's how I do my conversions. Completely mirror image of one another, just a different rule setting. So you'll see some errors here in the maps. Oh, yeah, I saw, I remember seeing one, it was at room 17 on the first level where it says, uh, um, let's see if I could find it. Or it's not rooms. I think it is room seventeen on the first level. Oh yeah, there's so much. There's that, the the uh, the long hall with all the doors. Um, yeah, with all the uh, um, statues of the gargoyles and and what have you. It says where the X is on the map. It's actually not a ma- X. It's a T. The mark as a trap. <laughs> so don't look for the X on the map. It's actually marked as a T. Yes, yeah, so, so there's a lot of wording that's incorrect and everything. And so now what I did is I looked at that too. Yeah, and like I said, even on the tournament map, they still have a T there. And I'm thinking like, okay, what does this T mean? So it says trap on the legend, but it doesn't say that in the description of the room. So that's why I'm redoing it for Pathfinder rules. And then I will post this on the site because I can do that. I'm not selling nothing. And, and then show them how the room should be done. Wandering Monsters. Uh, and the tournament thing is that uh, there are no wandering monsters. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. Tournaments don't use wandering monsters. 
Yeah, it takes up too much time. Yeah, and it, that's the whole thing because that's exactly what happens. Because running uh, the original, the the, uh, uh, the modules and everything. Uh, I'm just telling you, A1 and A2 each contain two sessions. So A1 was two sessions, the first and second level. A2 was two sessions. But they give you some rules and guidance on how to, uh, you know, change that if you want to, you know, change it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and again, they don't advance the level. There is a scoring system. Now, according to this, the scoring system that is in here was not used at the Gen Con Open. Hmm would really like to find that scoring sheet for that particular, for the Gen Con Open. I don't know if anyone that might have it. I do not have it. Uh, finding modules that were run during those tournament days are, are really few and in, in far in between. And I would really like to see what their scoring options were. I guarantee there were a lot more than what were given in this module here. They had to have been. You know, one thing I did notice, um, it's, again, on that, that temple chamber Yes. 18. Right. Where they have the uh, statue of Orcus. Yes. Basically. Um, I did notice something. I, I wonder why they did this, where there's a, there's a paragraph. And it says, for non-tournament use only, yeah. the trap door to the lower level has been trapped to prevent unwanted people to lower level. If the trap door is opened without first locking the secret catch... On the left foot of the statue, the arms of the statue will fall forward, and the sword blade will swing directly over the trapdoor and do six to thirty-six points to any person in the path, in its path. Now they said for non-tournament use only. My opinion, I would have think that should have been in the tournament because that should be a trap. Yeah, I think so. That's, that's a cool trap they have at the tournament. Okay, I'm sorry. See, this is what the issue though. Let's see, that, that's room eighteen. Am I correct? Yeah, that's now, the room where they, they basically okay. rededicate the temple to Orcus, and they have all those the orcs in it, and there's the one right. uh, evil cleric. Now, are you sure? Well, it looks like Grumsh to me. Hmm. Grumsh is the one that had one eye, right? No, he had two eyes. No, I'm sorry, not Orcus, Grumsh. You're right. Yeah, because I, I stand right. corrected. Yeah. No, okay. just, that's just then, you know, because Orcus is the prince of the undead. Just a thought. Not I was deal. thinking orc. <laughs> thinking yeah, Orcus. Orcus, Orcus. It's Grumsh. You're right. Yeah. But anyway, when you look at the room 18 for scoring, there's only three things there. Plus four for casting blindness on cleric, plus four for casting silence on cleric, plus eight for casting dispel magic or avoiding silenced area. Okay. So, you know, and I see where you're coming from. Had that been part of the tournament module, they say, say like, you know, plus four for finding trap in left foot. <laughs> and actually, it'd be a minus 10 for letting statue fall on person taking suffering damage. And you see where I'm coming from in that. Day. So yeah. I'm very interested in what their tournament, the actual scoring sheet was. I wish they had added yeah. it to it. They did the other ones. I'm just, I, I just thought, at least in my personal view of that, I thought that would have been a cool trap to have in the tournament. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, you're testing the skills of these people. And, you know, if he doesn't find his fine trap so well, you know. <laughs> With that said, I want you to understand the way they set this tournament scoring up, unlike other tournaments, this was a group effort thing as far as points were concerned. Right. Now, in this case here, let's say you get the plus seven. That plus seven or that plus four or that minus four or that minus thing plus the surviving amount of characters, you add that all up together, and that is what the group score is. Okay. Ah. And so now in that, in that, see, that's what it was. Now, 
was there now what we did was we did we played it with that so when we did the first tournament we did it only for groups so all the groups would get you know the groups would get you know scored uh group one group two group three group four who had the highest score they did so group two you are the ultimate winner then it's second place and third place and everyone got the little prizes and everyone was a happy camper what we did was, what we added to this was, was also an individual group award for the best player or for the most spectacular tool, something stupid like that, or whatever the case may be. And they would also get a special prize. That only, you know, up the ante, and that would, you know, bring more people in it. Because, I mean, who wants to come to a D&D tournament and I get a prize, you know, and they came in second place. It kind of stinks. Right. Just like having that R, 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 the RFI contest with the, the, the edition reprints and everything, and you know only one person got a prize. Who else wants to contribute next time? So we're going to change that stuff. So I should have learned that from the get-go. Well, that's usually how contests work. One person gets a prize. Yeah, usually it is and everything. That's true. Just like the lottery. Now, you, one person usually wins. Sometimes more win with them. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Now, tournament... You, uh, you mentioned this as well, Vince, yeah. concerning the amount of magical items. Yeah, and also, yeah, okay, go on. Yeah. For the tournament, this is what the characters are going to get. So in the long run, does this, I mean, for a campaign, is this an, unor- uh, an, uh, an un- oh, I'm sorry, inordinary amount? See, I'm messing up my words now. I'm sorry there, my friend, whoever said make fun of me. <laughs> but uh, is it an inordinary amount of magical items? Well, I'm looking at the characters, and I'm looking at their level. Uh, most of them are between 5th and 6th, 5th and 4th, and so on like this. And I will have to notice, too, that this is a... First edition advanced D&D game, and there's another mistake I think they made. But let's start with the, 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 the magical items. I think they really don't have that many, and they're really of inconsequence. Now, I know I looked at Kay, and she has two javelins, a piercing. She has a scroll of hold portal and suggestion. Hold portal. It has no effect in this module complete at all. So I, I don't understand the logic of having a hold portal scroll. Hold portal? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't make no sense to have that scroll for this particular module. So I see some issues with how some of these things. There's a potion of clear audience healed by Caraway. Okay. But there's no scoring for any, any of that stuff and everything. So I'm kind of confused on how they, 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 they distributed the, these magical items. Yeah. So the one person, Frida, she has plus three chainmail. And Frida is a, a fourth level ranger. Mm-hmm. That seems kind of high. Plus three chainmail. Yeah, it does. That seems kind of high. I think they went overboard. That, that could have been plus one, maybe plus two. I would rather have been a plus one, but I haven't gone back to look at the magical items they could have found to supplement that. Whatever the case may be. Well, but it's so a tournament that, module. Then who cares what you put in the module? That it's, is true too. Yeah, because we you know the players aren't going to continue after this, really. Well, no, yes, they will because well, remember now. Yeah, but the, after the day is done, I meant all the modules are done. Yeah, yeah. Then it's a dead issue. Yeah. But then again, I would not use these characters for a campaign because these are tournament characters. So I wouldn't yeah. primarily these characters. I what? think the point you're making though is, if they're going to have these magical items for the tournament characters, at least have them be useful. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point. Why would you have a potion of clarity? You would think that this this potion might be useful somewhere in the, in the tournament module as a whole. Yeah, but it really isn't. <laughs> And now I haven't looked at A2 to see how they, you know, that might 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 be for a later thing in scoring. Yeah, and, uh, good point. Uh, 
scoring uh, tournament scoring in there. I'm not seeing anything as far as a sheet for scoring. That's my only issue right there. Now, but you will see in in A2 for scoring adjustment for large tournaments, they start talking about the DM's discretionary bonus system, that where people get points for a special play, excellent play, good play, mm-hmm. blah blah blah, and so on and so on. And I will also notice that the same magic items that you find in A1, the same characters have the same ones in A2. So they might be useful in that adventure. See, and that's what I'm saying. But I do not see a sheet for scoring at this current time. I'm not going to waste my time on this for, you know, those those kind of things. So I'll have to look at that later. It might be another thing there. I I got a question on your tournament that you did, if you can remember. Sure. Um, uh, How did the people get the get the to get the characters because i remember a lot when i went to my my first convention when i, and I actually i went to into an ad and d tournament they actually had all the player character sheets around the table face down and when you turned it over that was the character you had yeah they've done that before yes that's exactly that's an excellent question with any tournament module Everyone that goes to the tournament should be somewhat proficient in playing a character and for it to be fair to everyone around the table, especially if there's any type of personal scoring for people playing characters, the character sheet should be upside down, randomized around the doggone table. Mm -hmm. Because I remember when I went in that tournament, when I did it, you know what character I got? A paladin. (laughs) And I did well. So... So. I was just and when they went to each um, round, whoever proceeds to the next round, did they get a totally different character then? The next round, no, they, kept, they stuck with that same character through the whole tournament. The same group of people, yes. Now there was okay. a thought of time. What we wanted to do is is that was to mix up the players for the next session. That didn't make no sense. Okay. Because I think we'd be wasting time. That people already know what characters are. Let's just continue on with the storyline and see how they progress. Okay, from I was just curious about that, how that went. So, now, all right. One thing that really bothered me about A one, and you all didn't mention this, but you did mention the room concerning the plant life and all that crazy crap. Yeah, yeah. There is no druid for the tournament characters. True. Which yeah. I think a druid would have fit in perfect and the druid will fit in perfect in later modules i don't know why they kept the druid out because what they have here that's plain simple a sixth level dwarven fighter a fifth level human fighter fourth level ranger sixth level clerk fifth level thief fifth level magic user a fifth level illusionist a third level cleric third level fighter a multi-class mm-hmm. and a multi-class fourth level fighter fourth level mu no druid which is very unusual. Huh. Well. I just understand that. I just didn't understand that. But like I said, it all depends on how they wanted it. But they did what they did. But I think a druid would have been perfect in this game. Hmm. So yeah. that covers most of the tournament and everything. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it has its flaws. We discussed some of the flaws. We discussed the tournament characters. I mean, y'all covered the other stuff and everything. Big difference between the, the scoring system. Uh, like I said, I wish I could find the Gen Con open scoring sheet. They did not add this to this this module. They just added something they made up, I think. I don't know why, but it, it's kind of funny. Now, just to give it a second, room three. Uh, can you tell me what was in room three real quick, like? I can't find my room three. Room three was on the top level. That is... Uh, 
There's the... Oh, it's the collapsed guard room. Yeah. So it's on page five. So what do we have? We have ghouls, eight ghouls. So that's, is that, that is part of the tournament module, I believe, too. Yes, it is. And room three, plus, uh, it's minus four for sending one character in alone. Uh, why would you move a character in there alone? I don't understand that. <laughs> minus four for attempting to use a sleep spell. That's fine. Just... It maybe it was because maybe they were maybe one at a time in case someone's trying to sneak in or something like that. Well, I thought that too, but look at this plus four for attempting to turn undead. Wow. So it, it, the, the scoring system's kind of weird and everything. The scoring adjustments are weird. I wish I had the original Gen Con sheet to look at it so we know how they scored it. We made a lot of things a lot more clear. I just had some issues with these scoring adjustments. Overall, uh, the, like I said, it was a tournament broken into, into sessions. I think it had a great setup and everything. I, I don't think, personally, I don't think that this series of modules should have been a tournament module as, as a whole, if you get my drift. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been great if it made it just one module as a tournament, vice four modules. I mean, that's a lot of sessions. And the sessions must have been short because our yeah. sessions, when we ran this as a tournament module, was only two and a half hours. I don't, was it two hours or three? It was three hours. Yeah, I was going to say, these, this seems like, how do nope. they get these modules done so fast in a tournament setting? It was two hours. I know right now that each session was two hours each. I just remember that now. It was two hours each. Well, with the, with the reduced time and the reduced tournament, I don't see, still, I don't see how they can get this done that quickly. Whoever was running these tournaments had been really pushing players, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, uh, the run tournament cannot do that. They cannot push the players. The moment a tournament starts, there is no edging on from the DM. The DM just sits back and just continues on. And lets the, that's why it's always important. It's a good thing you brought up that on, on tournament modules. If you're on a tournament, one person should be designated a caller and make decisions right there and then. The, in a tournament, you don't have time to, to you know, mess around and, and, and go through 500 options on trying to open an unlocked door. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Turn the knob. Jeez, well, okay. Oh, I'm just, one tournament module we played in. The guys did three hours in a town trying to buy 500 goats and trying to take 500 goats into a dungeon. Why? Because <laughs> the goats are going to sit off the traps in the in the dungeon. That's why. Oh yeah. Yeah, but so y'all know what the whole deal is. Y'all know the whole deal and everything. Like I said, tournament modules, campaign modules, this is better run as a campaign module. You get the whole taste of it because people will die. Oh, yeah. So with that said and uh, the module, you can pick it up on Amazon if you want. Uh, A1, uh, Slave Pits of the Undercity, uh, is going to use $17, which is pretty decent, I think. Not bad. Uh, find it on eBay too. Uh, maybe I don't. I haven't looked on eBay. I usually go to Amazon first just to buy because I can't stand bidding and things like that. So, mm-hmm. but outrageously, it's four hundred and seventy-five dollars brand new. Yikes! Oh yeah, I don't think so. Sorry, again, four hundred and seventy-five dollars brand new. Sure, that's not pesos. No, I, I like the fact that it's four hundred seventy-five dollars and ninety-six cents. A one. Yes, I have no idea where they got that randomness from. Oh no, that's that's insanity. Only a fool would spend that kind of money. Well, yeah, I can see the the seventeen dollars. There's twelve of them used. Seventeen dollars. I know one fool who would spend that much money. <laughs> yeah. Uh eBay, I don't know, I haven't looked, but uh we don't have time to really fool around about that, so All right. 
Unless, Nick, you want to look it up while we're talking in the next segment, you can go ahead and do that. Anyway, let's uh, head into the Creature Feature Theater next. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long Creature Feature Theater. For the creature feature this week, we're going to talk about the Aspis. Am I saying that right, guys? No joke. I think I think so. Aspis. Yeah. Yeah. No joke about that. I wasn't sure when I was reading. I was like, is it Aspis or Aspis or I don't know. Anyway, this creature is pretty much comes in, <laughs> comes in three different versions. There is the cow, the larva, and the drone. The cow version of this is uh, pretty much the like the mother. Of there, just think of the queen of a hive or a queen ant or something. These creatures will pretty much leave people alone unless they need to do something or unless they're confronted somewhat. The cow was pretty much will stay in the lair and just leave the little larva eggs, which are the little babies, and uh, which surprisingly the larva have a pretty good hit, pretty good armor class for little babies, squishies. They have a better armor class than most magic users at first level. They have an armor class of six. And uh, they move really slowly. They have a hit dice of 2 to 5. Uh, percent in the layer is always 90%. They're immune to acid, which is kind of interesting. And uh, depending on the hit dice, the experience is between 2 to 5, as usual. But the, I'll point out the cow. It's very rare. There's only going to be one, because obviously it's the queen of the hive. And uh, the hit dice listed as 10. But the thing about it is, is the cow is not really going to attack. Its damage is 3 to 8, so... It's going to leave you alone. And chances are this, uh, according to what is the asp... Um, da, 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 da. No, I don't think the asp cows can speak. The drones are the ones I think they do speak. Do you guys see anything about the... No. Yeah, the drones are the ones they have their own kind of language. Yeah. That they have, but 5% are able to speak common. Right. And... Uh, yeah, so the cow pretty much... And the, the drones will pretty much be the, like the worker ants, the drone ants, obviously, that protect everything. And there's mm-hmm. one point in the module when you're in the slave pits and you're fighting over the slave pits uh, with one of these creatures. At one, yeah, you know. that's such a cool scene. Yeah, you notice the naked woman in the bottom lower left-hand corner there, too? Of course I did. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> so there's a 5% chance that they will be able to speak common, and probably they'll probably tell you to go to heck and... Uh, I'm going to kill you, get away from my queen. And they're really just protecting their own. Yes. So they're not really out All to... for the hive. We are the hive. Right. They're like the Borg kind of thing going on. Uh, their diet mostly consists of, I love vegetation meat, and they like to drink blood. That's their preferred drink. Mm. Uh, the drones are probably the most fierce out of the whole bunch, doing the uh, was it one to four, one to four by weapon type. Uh, they are immune to, I think it was, uh, electrical and cold attacks. And only take half damage from fire-based attacks. Mm-hmm. I like the 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 uh, the drones. Mm-hmm. They can wield. They can have two attacks with weapon type. So, mm-hmm. give a couple of those guys some long swords or battle axes. Look out! Yeah, they actually stand up. Yeah. Uh, just imagine this like slug-like creature standing up, and and they use their little tentacle hands to like attack. It's like ah. But the picture, I guess, is drawn by Jeff D because there's a big D there. It means D, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that cover. Yeah. Uh, I love that like... cover. It has it's dual wielding shields and like it looks like uh, maybe long swords. I 
I totally dig that. I'm like, ah. the uh, the, pic- the picture of the of the cow, as he calls it, it looks like a alien spaceship. To be honest, yeah, it looks like a Randy lay there like a slug. His only defense. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It just reminds me of a spaceship, like an alien spaceship landing on a planet. It's just kind of weird. Anyway, uh, the XP value of this uh, creature, if I'm looking at this correctly, is uh, 1,350. So yeah, for the cow, yes, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, they none of them have treasure except the drone, and that's listed as F. And I guess I don't have it in front of me, but F is probably going to be whatever they have on them at the time. I think so. Usually, I don't know. I don't really. I'm not one of those those nerds that memorize the charts and everything like that. I apologize for saying nerds, but because I don't have time <laughs> to memorize that stuff. Well, let me look up in my monster manual here. Treasure type F. You know, actually, it's it's a lair treasure. Is it? Yes, it is. Oh, it's oh yeah. <laughs> That's got to be a typo then. <laughs> yeah, well, they're only thirty uh, percent in the lair, so. Hmm. Yeah, this has got to be their lair treasure because according to uh, the monster manual, treasure type F. Yeah. Um. Uh, Won the twenty thousand silver. Yeah, won the twelve thousand electrum. Won the ten thousand gold. Won the eight thousand platinum. Three the thirty gems. Won the ten jewels. Any three magic items except sword or mislays weapons, plus one potion and one scroll. Well, okay. it's almost as good as treasure type H. <laughs> <laughs> they have a backpack on them with all the stuff in it. Yeah, you know, they all carry yeah. this around all the time. Anyway, you know, I'm one of the people that actually don't memorize these monsters, and we were like, oh, how come you don't know what the monster is? You've been playing for 20-something years. You can't figure out what the monster is? No, because I don't care. I like to just play. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> yeah, it's true that after a while you get to, you know, you realize what monsters are, what their hit dice are, you remember it, but sometimes you just don't care. Who cares? Anyway. I care. Oh, okay, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I care. So, it just depends on your DM style. Yeah. That pretty much is. So different ways. You could probably import this creature into any adventure you want. And in fact, I could see an adventure you could take this creature and say, uh, okay, the town's crops have been diminishing lately. And there's, you know, there's been a lot of like rumblings in the ground, kind of like a tremors type thing going on with this. Mm, and okay. uh, you could say that these creatures are basically feasting off the, the the crops, using it for as a food supply. And then you can send a bunch of adventurers into the hole in the ground. And hey, they have you lifted to... that from Baldur's Gate with the Shh. carrying crawlers. Shh. No, I didn't. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you it's from Tremors. Anyway, <laughs> I'm putting Kevin Bacon's life on it. Anyway, <laughs> and that other dude that was in the rest of them, uh, Michael Gross. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I would like I would you know send the characters in there and they clear the tunnels out. Maybe even if since some of the drones could speak, possibly negotiate a way to get them out of there. I don't mm-hmm. know, depending on how your party works. You know but, me, like what I like to do. I like to work. I like to have creatures work in conjunction yeah. with each other. Like, like I said, I loved how this module incorporated. The, the aspis with the giant uh, ants. Yes, thought that that was a really cool way to do that. I could, you could almost take that whole um, thing that you were talking about mm-hmm. one step further. You could have those giant ants, maybe some other kind of bugs, maybe some giant centipedes down there. Maybe there, maybe there's like an un 
easy maybe there's kind of a war between the aspis and maybe some intelligent giant spiders Ooh, you know and uh trying to take over the world yeah or i'm just trying to think of other creepy crawly bugs that you can kind of incorporate with a whole kind of you know mini campaign with these you know spiders giant centipedes uh maybe praying mantises maybe there would be an evil cleric with a bladed weapon down there in charge or put a real <laughs> twist on it. Oh, ha, ha. I just got that. Far, far, far. He just Maybe caught put it. a real twist on it. Maybe it's a druid. Yeah. But- Think about it. Maybe the whole thing behind it is a druid, and he's just ticked off at the whole world. He's using all these giant insects and creatures. I must interject one thing also as well. Good. You will not find the Aspis, for some reason, is also protected IP monster that is not found in D20 or Paizo. It is, really? It's a protected creature, really? I had no idea. I wonder why. I have no idea. Who created the Aspis now? Is this creature in any of the monster manuals? Because I do not recall it being in the FIFA monster manual 2. It has to be. I believe. Can you tell me who created the monster? Um, had to have been the creator of the adventure, David Cook. Hmm. Interesting. So it's under their IP, huh? It, yep, because you cannot use this creature because what I have to do is I have to replace the Aspis with another creature from D20, which is actually going to be the Formians, which are the, actually the, the more intelligent ant-like creatures. Yeah, okay. I'm using them to replace the Aspis. So All the centaur ant-men kind of thing. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, there's the module on the creatures, and uh, let's head into our last segment of the night, the uh, treasure chest. You have opened the treasure chest. You may choose an item. Okay, so in the treasure chest this week, we're going to pull out something random just to talk about it. Uh, let me reach into this treasure chest. Oh, we've got a scroll here, Nick. Uh, oh. oh, scroll of invisibility. Look at that. Wing. <laughs> oh, you cannot see me. Oh, uh-huh. Nick, where'd you go? I can hear you. I can hear you, but I can't see you. Yeah. So anyway, this spell causes the recipient to vanish from sight and not be detected by any normal vision or infravision. Of course, the invisible creature is not magically silent, so they could still speak. With respect to noises, normal to it. The spell remains in effect pretty much in ever or until it's dispelled or the magic user or the other recipient cancels it where he or she attacks a creature. So basically, if you're invisible, you can walk, you can talk, you can have dinner, you can go upstairs, you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as you don't attack. But once you attack, you become visible. Oh, boy. Yeah. This is broken. Yeah. That means you can cast that on a thief. <laughs> you know, climb walls. <laughs> Now, shadows. That's don't the, even have to worry about that. That's the loophole, kind of this. What you wonder now? Would you consider a pickpocket an attack type thing? No, no, no. So, I would not consider a pickpocket attack because you're not physically harming that person. The only thing you're hurting is their income. No, <laughs> so, I totally disagree. Yeah, see, I this consider is, a pickpocket an attack because you are you are rolling against him. Right. This is where the, this is where the big debate. But it's not a to hit. This is it, where it, the, no. 
I see. Hold on a second, guys. This is where the big debate comes in with this spell. There is that loophole in there that you could say, Nick's point of view, he's not harming somebody, but on Will's side, he is affecting another person or another character or another monster. In a negative fashion. Yes, which could be considered a form of attack in a sense because you're affecting the well-being of that person in a certain way. So there's either side to the coin on this one. There's only one side of the coin. It's mine. Yeah, we don't care. Anyway. I can see it. You come up with a very good, well thought out argument, and you're completely and utterly wrong. Ooh. I'm just kidding. I'm poking the bear. You could no, take I'm, either way on it. I well, mean, actually, Nick, you're supposed to change your mind and side with me at this point, remember? Okay, I agree with you then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's funny. No, and so you could. Do whatever you want. You're the DM. If you want to say that pickpocketing or doing something to affect another person or another thing would break the spell, then let it. I say, sure, why not? Or you can say the thief runs around and pickpockets everybody and nothing happens. It's offensive. Yeah, like, yeah, that's the word. It's an offensive move, so. You're offensive. offensive. Yeah, it's an offensive act. Not in the, in the fact that someone, you know, lets off a fart. That's <laughs> offensive. But it's offensive as he's making an action against someone, which well, is kind of... I don't care what it says. Okay. Use that, you break the invisibility spell. So if the thief spit at somebody, that would break the spell, according to you, Will? If a, per- if a person is invisible, if a magic user is invisible, or a thief's invisible, and he spits at someone, yes, that is an offensive act, and that means, and that's both offensive, that means he'll become visible, because he's attacking someone trying to hit him okay. with his nasty, vile spit. <laughs> And the material for the spell component for the spell of his spell is an eyelash and a bit of gum. Arabic gum? Gross. Or is that Arabic? How do you say that one? Arabic. Arabic? Yeah, Arabic gum. Mm-hmm. Arabic. Yeah, Arabic? <laughs> yeah. The former enclosed in the ladder. Was that ladder? I'm reading it wrong. Sorry. Later. You, you missed later, dude. <laughs> later with two T's? Okay. Latter. Latter. It's ladder. That's what I thought. Latter. 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 Yes. Thomas the Train. No. <laughs> what was that thing you were doing the last time, Nick? The Human Torch. <laughs> the Human Torch could not get a bank loan. <laughs> the Human wow. Torch could not con- could not secure a bank loan. It was from Anchorman when he was yeah, yeah. before they were doing the their their broadcast. He was doing uh, pronunciation exercises. <laughs> Whatever he did was the human torch cannot get a bank loan. (laughs) FYI, if you go on uh, eBay right now, you can get the uh, slave one, slave pits under city for nine ninety nine. Buy it now. Yep. There's a couple nine ten bucks. Yeah, there's a couple bid bid bids now. uh, Two bucks right now, but yeah, nine dollars buy and I see someone selling it for twenty bucks, eleven bucks, ten bucks. So that's actually pretty decent prices right there. However, 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 in the coming months, we got the reprint of this area of the slave lords. Aha! Yeah. Uh-huh. Which I, I assume will drop the price of this anyway. So Now, when they're reprinting this, they're reprinting it as the compilation that they did? Yeah, they're doing the compilation A through O. Okay. But this is still... Is this the one that had the curious A0 on it or something? Or was it S? Yes, the new one has this... Yes. I guess a... T- well, like we were talking about... Uh, 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 adventure hook to tie the whole thing in, basically a zero. That's what it is. Oh, now, okay. That's what they're doing. Okay. What I, the, the reason why I asked about which one it was is, 
that means the levels are going to be different. Yeah. So because the original separate modules are levels four through seven, I think the the compilation they bumped it up to like seven to eleven. Oh, really? Yes. The compilation of mo- the the adventures are different. Why? It's so they wanted to tie it in to where when they did all the super modules in the late eighties. Yeah. When they were doing all those reprints, what they wanted to do is you had they wanted you to get Temple of Elemental Evil. You followed on with Slave Lords, and then you went on to Queen of Spiders. Oh, okay. So, in fact, I can grab my copy of Scourge of the Slave Lords right here, and it is from level 7 to 11. All right, cool. So that's just to everybody know, the one that's the reprint, that's the Scourge of the Slave Lords where the the levels are considerably different than the separate uh, printed modules. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they they bumped up the... um, the uh, the uh, the monsters and how severe they are and all that. And so, mm-hmm. okay. So there you go. <laughs> There's a one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you go out and, and pick it up and run it for your group. And if you do, definitely write us or go to the forums or worsargaming.org. Write us rfistaff at gmail dot com, or you can give us a voicemail five seven zero eight six five forty two ten the hotline. And I think that's going to wrap it up this week, guys. And the show. I think it will. Little, yes. over, little over. The human torch could not <laughs> secure a bank loan. <laughs> Coming in <laughs> at about another two-hour show again. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Okay. Keep it original. Keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Hey, I mean, bye. <laughs> God, Roll for initiative.